Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And I said I was ready a minute ago. Sorry, Michael. Now I'm ready. We're good. <laughs> and welcome to episode 127 of the North Meet South Web podcast. Yeah, I was uh, messing with my microphone. I uh, just realized that I didn't turn the, uh, like there's a little 48 volt button mm-hmm. on my mic and I have to do that or else it's really, really quiet. And speaking of volts, the other day, I was actually really interested. I don't know why, but I got really interested in learning about how electricity works. And I spent like hours reading about electricity. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure I've, very, I've barely scratched the surface. Oh, yeah. But uh, really just so interesting. All the things that we take for granted with electricity. Yeah. Oh, my word. It's wild. Super you have cool enough though. volts over there. What are you, one, 110 in America? 120? 120. Yeah, run 120 yeah. volts. What do you guys run? 240. Yeah, so we we typically run two 120 volt lines into the houses, and so we do use 240. Like like our washer and dryer uses 240. Mm-hmm. Like our oven or stove will use 240, but typically the rest of the stuff uses 120. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're 240 all the way. Yep. And so do your plugs? Uh, what do your plugs look like? Our plugs look like a little. I don't You've know. got little two two vertical lines. Two slots. Ours are like and then a, little eyes, the ground yeah. wire under and the bottom. Pin, yeah, yeah. Ours are the same. Are they the same? Are, we have the same outlet? Well, no, we've got like a 45 degree, like you've got round okay. pins where we've got um, flat pins. Well, we've got flat pins on top and then a round pin on the bottom for the ground. Mm. So it's flat, flat, and then round in the bottom. Yeah, so, so ours are like flat, flat, 45, and then uh-huh. flat, and then oh, straight okay. up, straight down on the bottom. Yeah, that makes that must make a pretty secure, like when you plug something into the wall, it's not coming out like on accident. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's I, I, that nice. was something I noticed. Like when I was over there, was like with the adapters and stuff, which may not be as snug as proper sure. fitting, like proper plugs, but they they tend to fall out of the. Well, it just sort of easily. depends, right? It depends on the socket, right? If it's an older socket, sometimes the connect, you know, like when you slot it, in, it's not quite as tight. But with the ones mm. that you guys have, since it's like there's two forty fives sort of on there, it's really yeah. gonna like you. It's not going to like pull out quite quite as easy. So I had that yeah. happen actually just like a couple minutes ago. I plugged in a thing on the wall and it just it was like my um, you know the thing that comes with your MacBook, and it just pulled out of the wall. Yeah, it's the just brick too heavy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. The brick. Yep. Yeah. You whereas see, I've got my brick is like mounted to the underside of my desk, like upside down. Uh huh. And no problems there. Like it never. Oh, I mean, it will fall out if I knock it. Um, right, but yeah, right. It, it's other pretty, otherwise pretty snug. So uh, last time we were on the show, we were talking about value objects, and mm. you kind of went on a little bit of a value object spree, talking about value objects. And I'm really interested to hear what you learned. Um, but I also just recently um, saw today Taylor talking about Taylor Otwell, that is, folks, mm-hmm. talking about the new environment encryption commands in Laravel. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. That I did. looks really interesting. I was wondering if we could just start talking about that real quick. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so it's um, there's it's an interesting new, one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It really is, and actually, it solves some challenges that we were talking about not too long ago. So, I mean, in addition to security, right? Encryption's primary objective, I feel like, is you know security or at least obfuscation. It's not that it's like completely. It's not hashed, right? It's encrypted, but but still. Um, you know, it's always felt a little bit weird to just drop this plain text set of secrets on your server. And it's just now mm. it's there. Right. And there's yeah. nothing really protecting it. It's just like, there it is. And so 
Laravel 9.32 brought the release of two new artisan commands, ENV Encrypt and ENV Decrypt. So here's what it makes it possible to do. It makes it possible to securely store an encrypted copy of your application's environment file, not on your server, but in source control, making it a living part of your application. This is awesome because this allows you to do a couple things. Decrypt and load environment variables as part of your deployment, right? Share those local environments between developers on a team, which is also cool. And then automatically update CI environments. So this is just awesome. I'm wondering now, like as I'm looking at this, you have, um, like I'm wondering if you would do like env.dev or something like that. And that's yeah. how you would share like your dev environment sort of deal. So they talk about exploring the command. Here's what it is. If you run the env.encrypt command, it will read an environment file and encrypt the contents. And then encrypted contents are written to a new environment suffixed with dot encrypted. So you'd have like dot env encrypted, sorry, dot env dot encrypted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what that's what you would do. So if you had something like env.dev and you wanted to commit that to your repository, you could do env.dev and then do env um, encrypt on that env.dev. Mm-hmm. So then the output displays the encryption key that was used to encrypt the file, which is what's something you should store in like your password manager, right? That's what you're going to need to decrypt that file. So you still have to share that around somehow, right? But hopefully your team has some sort of way that they are sharing a particular, um, you know, secrets, particular secrets that you might be using. Um, And of course, the command gives several options to give you control over the key and the cipher to use and the environment that you're wishing to encrypt. So uh, you can pass all those those in, right? You can pass the key in that you want to use to decrypt it. Um, It also actually integrates with Laravel Vapor really easily. Um, I'm supposing that you could also, uh, you know, do this quite simply in any of your continuous continuous integration environments. Um, The nice thing for us as well and I would suggest you do this too if you're not doing it, is we use um, config cache, right? So it used to be back in the old days that people would kind of sprinkle this ENV helper command around their application wherever they wanted to be able to load in and something that was stored in the environment. And we started saying, nope, we don't want to do that. We only ever want to use the ENV helper inside of config values. So if you ever wanted to set something in the environment using .env, The only place that could be used inside of your application was inside the configs. The reason why we do that is so that we can call config cache when we're deploying it. And those ENV values get read from that file exactly one time. They then get cached in the config and stored. And then there you go. You don't ever have to read from that .env file again. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing you would basically just do this. PHP artisan ENV decrypt, uh, then dash dash ENV equals production. And then you're going to grab those values, config cache, and you're set to go. So this is really, really cool. And I actually love the idea as well of, so you've always had a .env example, a .env did example, which is good, but you're not storing any values in there. You're basically just setting up, here's what you would use. Uh, I mean, you could, I guess some people do, right? Some people would use like what they would set up in their local environment for like, um, like just a local dev thing. Is that what mm-hmm. you guys do typically? Did you store dot in your dot env example what would be there? We we don't like there's some specific keys we would need that mm-hmm. we don't store in there. Um, yeah, yeah. No, we don't store. We we kind of share them around, and it's like once it's once yeah. you've got it, you just reuse them. So there's right. not really a good strategy. I think this environment encryption is useful for that. Yeah, because then you can put like a dot env dot local into source control. There we go. Yeah, um, that that is encrypted, and that's an easy way to kind of share credentials around with. 
you know, the team and any new starters and things like that. And it's easy to kind exactly. of make sure that everyone's on the same page exactly. and then putting the encryption key for that into, you know, one, one password is what yep. we're using yep. now. Nice. Production, you know, I mean, production depends on your environment. For for most of our listeners, I'd hazard that they're probably using Forge. So, you know, it makes sense to just keep using that. Or Envoy or whatever, yeah. Or, or Envoy, yeah. So the, you know, the trick is obviously getting the encryption key for your environment file into mm-hmm. your CI Indeed. pipeline. Yes, you know, that's true. Because like if you're using Envoy or if you're using Forge, you know, you need to get the encryption key into that so that when it runs ENV decrypt, as right. part of your deploy, like it needs to know what that key is. So there's, you know, some some level of risk there in terms of putting putting the um the key into those platforms and making them available there. And like if you're gonna do it for your CI for integration testing against third party APIs and things like that, you know, you're gonna have to put those keys in there. Maybe, you know, if you're gonna switch to that approach, that's I mean, you you've already got that risk anyway, you know, because you you're putting those secrets into github actions for example like it's it's tracking those secrets for you so you you know whether you're putting a single key in there that can unlock you know decrypt the the encrypted env file in there or if you're just putting the secrets in there yourself like you kind of you're doing already so there's probably not not too much risk involved in that um i think and this, this has sort of been mitigated to some extent in in the laravel sort of skeleton repository now is the .env.production file is ignored by default in the git ignore. So that's, you know, so the, the way that the env encrypt command works is it looks for a .env. you know, environment yep. um, file. So but by default, you get like .env. It'll do that and it'll go .env becomes .env.encrypted. But if you pass like env encrypt, I think it's dash dash env equals production, yep. then it's going to look for a .env. Production. production yeah and then it'll convert that to like a .env .production .encrypted, which is great but so laravel changed this in the last week or so i think where that .env .production file is is get ignored by default so that you don't end up accidentally committing that in the process of like going towards this encrypted file so that's that's a good start i i'd probably put like any any other non local environment file i'd probably put in your ignore as well so if you're going to have a .env .local .encrypted in your version control, I'd probably put .env .local local as an, as into, an file. Yeah. <clears throat> into ignore, you know, .ci, whatever you're going to put in there. If you're planning on encrypting it, the first thing I would do as like step one is to put those things into .env, uh, to, into .git ignore. So you don't find yourself accidentally committing those things into Git because like once they're in Git, they're there forever kind of thing. So um, that that's something to be mindful of, but but I like it. You know, there's, there's, there's risk in these things it's you know as long as you're understanding those risks and and you know mitigating them as best you can then 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 go for it um you know we're doing this a bit at the moment we're encrypting like we're we're handling credentials on behalf of on on behalf of our customers to you know they might have their own credentials to vendor systems or or third-party lenders that like we integrate with but we want to send requests on their behalf so you know we've got to take their encryption at their keys you know their api tokens whatever else we've got to encrypt those to make sure that like we're keeping them safe that only we can access them and then like making sure we're keeping those safe between tenants as well so like there's no so we don't use the app key for that each tenant has their own encryption key and then we've got like our own encryptor that like just extends from laravel's encryptor that that we sort of make available 
on a per tenant basis. So, you know, it knows that it needs to go and get the current tenant's encryption key. It needs to decrypt that. And then, you know, you can use that to then decrypt the other credentials for, for use cases. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fun, the kinds of things that you can do with encryption. And I'm, I'm interested from, a, you know, more of a technical standpoint, how they've implemented it. Because I want to go and look at it to see like how far off the mark I was with with what we built for our thing, and I actually went and uh, spoke to shout out to Stephen Reese Carter. I spoke to him a little bit about that, just like to to consider the approaches of what's kind of like safe, um, and and what you know how hey you know you can best mitigate that. That's all. That's the thing with you know security is that there's always going to be some level of risk to everything that you do. Yeah, um, it's, and it's, it's about finding the best it's choice, all about, right? Mitigating right, as much yeah. as you can. Mitigating as much, you know, having a de- determining what the known known knowns and the known unknowns are, and all that kind of stuff, and and acknowledging, you know, yes, this is a risk, but we accept that risk, or this is something that we're not too worried about, and things like that. And then, as long as you know and understand, and you kind of document that, then you know, you you, you go along with that. So, yeah, as I said, I think for most of our listeners, that this is probably a good solution. Especially if you, like if you're a single developer, it probably doesn't matter too much. But if you're working in a small team and you need to share things around and, you know, you haven't quite hit the scale where you're doing more creative things, you know, parameter store or which, which they talk about. Joe Dixon wrote about that in the in the blog post announcing the the vapor support for this if you're using parameter store or, or key management or some other solution. You know, this is probably not for you. And I wouldn't I wouldn't I'd call it a regression. I wouldn't regress back to this to using the encrypted ENV file. Because um, it, it seems like you'd already have the, the procedures and the policies and stuff in place to, to kind of handle that safely. But if you're, you know, you're looking to go towards something a little bit more robust, then this is something that you can certainly consider. Yep. Yep. So really nice. Really, really nice. Um, speaking of encryption and casting, you know, so we actually, before Jason McCurry did a pull request to allow for encrypted casts by default in Laravel, which was not a big stretch. The pull request was not that big, honestly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you went and looked at it, it was like add an encryptable type. And all the encryptable type basically did was say, okay, take the value that's coming in, encrypt it, and then what's going out, decrypt it. The end. That's it. Write a quick test, make sure it works. There you mm-hmm. go. Eventually, they then allowed for encryptable casts with types as well. So encrypted JSON, encrypted object, encrypted array, encrypted whatever. And so basically what that does is is it says, okay, decrypt the value and then pass it along to its next function, which is object or JSON or whatever, right? And just kind of run that next and do that. So it just sort of stacks them. It it sort of wraps it, I suppose, in a decorator, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Where it just does the, you know, if it's getting it out, it it decrypts it and then passes it along. And if it's, if it's putting it in, it casts it and then encrypts it and then sends it along. In any case, we were not using the Laravel default. Uh, We were encrypting things before the Laravel cast, uh, you know, encrypted cast came out. And so yesterday we went to ship uh, changing over to the Laravel version, the Laravel one and made a mistake. Oops. And so ended up getting some weird, like double half encrypted weird stuff. Thankfully, I only had it deployed for six minutes. I was watching really close and I was like, something went wrong. Pull it back quick. And so it only decrupted, like not corrupted. It only messed up like five rows, five records. Mm -hmm. So I had to just manually go sort of, you know, patch those things and band-aid them back together, duct tape tape them back together. And Mm -hmm. um, there's a bunch of stuff that broke. Anyway, tonight I'm supposed to be actually running through and I figure the safest way to do it is probably to say, 
decrypt all the columns manually and rewrite them back to the database and then re-encrypt everything. Um, mm-hmm. And so thankfully, we're only talking about, I mean, maybe 10,000 records at most. We mm-hmm. we we redact stuff and then archive it really quickly um, so that we have a really small footprint of exposure while it's, while it's in a process. So that if we ever even did have data leak, it'd be like some thousands of records instead of like hundreds of thousands or millions of records, right? So it, it should hopefully be pretty simple. But yeah, you can get yourself in trouble kind of quick uh, if you're using this encrypted uh, stuff and you and you and you make a mistake. Um, the other thing that was I was actually talking to one of our other developers about is the thing that they don't have right now is encrypted date columns. Hmm. So there is no encrypted. You, know, you can't do encrypt colon date. And I think maybe because uh, date columns sort of have some of that chaining on them additionally, right? So you could date colon and then specify a format. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that that currently is working. I don't know that it would actually be that hard to add because basically all the pull request currently does is it basically says if it has the word encrypted on it, pop that off, do the encrypted part, and then just pass the rest of it on, like just like I was mm-hmm. talking about. So it might work if we literally just said encrypted date is a thing. If you just said that's a thing, then it might just it might just actually work and run the test and see if it works. So the interesting thing we have on on ours is what we're wanting to do is we want to, on the getter, we want to get it and transform it into month, day, year. But then when we set it, we want to grab it from month, day, year and transform it to year, month, day. You know what I mean? So I'm not even sure if that's something you can do with a cast. Is that something you can do with a cast? I don't think I don't think you can specify a different get and set. You can just say if you get a carbon no. object, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're using the built-in cast, it's you know, however it is. If you're using the the attribute syntax, then you can you know, I you can do that to kind of re-implement some of that in a way that suits you specifically. Like with the the encryption, you know, you'd have to do it yourself. Yeah. Um, but, Which isn't that bad. I mean, literally, it's 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 crypt colon colon encrypt string or crypt colon right. colon decrypt string. Now the yeah. mistake we made before, not the mistake, but what we were previously using was the decrypt help, helper and the encrypt helper, which is not the same as crypt no. colon colon decrypt or crypt colon. It is colon not. <laughs> what is the yeah? What is the difference? So like when you use crypt colon colon encrypt string, it adds on like a signature like s colon fifteen, which is like you know it's a string and it's fifteen characters, and then it, it pops out the string after that, right? Yeah, one of um, one of them serializes the the value you pass to it first, ah, so you can pass okay. it an object, right? Oh, that makes and sense. encrypt yeah. it, yeah, and then so it will serialize that object. So you could pass it a model, for example, and it runs sure. through the the magic serialize deserialize functionality to to handle that when when it does the encryption. Whereas encrypt string is just you know encrypting the string. Well, that's um, interesting so because in that case, I could, so like in this date thing, I could say, don't worry about it. I could just do, I could probably just say, cast it as an object. And then when I get it back out, no, no, I wouldn't. It's because it doesn't rehydrate it as a carbon object. It just, it just says, give me the object. It just casts it as a standard object. Mm-hmm. And then I think, it, I think there's know. also a hierarchy with those things. Like in, you can use the cast as well as the attribute. Really? Oh wow, that'd be cool. I didn't realize you could do that. I know I know that I know that with mutators, like the the, the old set and get magic methods. Yeah, right. You could implement because we, we had done that. That's in what our we did app, actually. Yeah. Is that we're using the cut like Laravel cast for part of it, but then I think I think the getter, like the accessor, we're doing get whatever attribute, and that will then take precedence over whatever the default is. Cause that's higher up the execution chain. So it will be like, oh yeah, there's a get 
method for this. So, you know, you might have to re-implement part of that logic to like decrypt it, but then you can do whatever you want with it from there. So that might be something you can that's look into what as I well. Need to do. That's what um, I need to, because I'm trying to basically do both of those things. I basically made a new cast called encrypted date, and then it tries to handle some of that intelligently. But I mm-hmm. think you're right. I think I could just do encrypted on it and then make a attribute for a, um, you know, for the right. whatever it is. It's like C1, you know, claim it one date of birth, right? Since it's like personally yeah. identifiable information, we, you know, we want to crypt that date. Um, mm-hmm. But interesting, cast it and use a attribute. I like that. I'm going to try that mm-hmm. out. Yeah. So you could, you could say that the, like set the cast to encrypted, which will handle the like set, yep. muta- like the mutation. And then if you add the get, like the getter, you would have to decrypt that yourself. So you don't, you know, crypt, colon, colon, decrypt that value, which would then get you back the object, I think. But play around with it. I'm, I'm pretty yeah, sure. I mean, I'm going to mess with it. I'll, I'll, encrypted, I'll report back in two weeks. Yeah, because you, you're you wanting it for the decryption, for the for the formatting aspect of it, right? Only for the formatting. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, like, what happens first? Like, if when it's coming in, and I have a set method. If it does set and then it uses the cast, and then when it's coming back out, it uses the cast and then uses the get. I don't know. Like well, what order you're is wanting, it going? No, no. It's, it's so it'll run the the methods first, right? And then it falls back to the cast. So you would only want to implement the get. Ah, uh, okay. Right, and so you you use like you know new return new attribute get colon fn arrow, and then you would do crypt decrypt, which would then get which should get you back to the carbon instance. Like it should know how to yep. hi- rehydrate that. And then you can just that's, chain format on the end of it. That's the part that I don't know about. That's the part that I actually do not know about. I don't know that if you, like if you um, did something like encrypt colon object, I don't know that when you serialize it, it knows what, I mean, it, I mean, must, right? It must know that it's a carbon object. Yeah. So when you, when you brought it back out, it should be a carbon object still, right? Mm-hmm. So in that case, I shouldn't have to worry about the formatting at all. I should just call the formatting wherever I'm using, or I guess something like that, right? Well, it depends on what you're doing. It. Like if you're doing it at the moment using the date cast, you're doing right. date colon, you know, y slash m or d slash m slash y. Yeah. Then you know you're still going to have to do that, but because it's encrypted now, you don't. So it'd be like you'd have to decrypt it and then just know that you're going to get an in- yeah. a carbon instance right. and then call format. Um, mm-hmm. So you'd have to shift it around a little bit, but I am, I'm reasonably confident that works that way. That's a good You'll be able to yeah. in two weeks. Okay. I will. I will check it out in two weeks. So so two weeks ago, yeah, we did the value objects thing. So hang on, before that, can we just yeah, cycle sure. back to your the you say it's only like ten thousand records and that you only only messed up a couple of them, like changing the key. I'm I'm kind of like paranoid about, you know, a handful of these things. Yeah. You know, each of our customers will have their own credentials. So we've actually written artisan commands to handle like cycling the key. Ah. So each each so we've got the app key. We use the app key to then encrypt the tenant key. Okay, that makes right? sense. Right, so each tenant has their own key. So the app sure. encrypts. So if, if someone gets their hand on on the code, I mean, they've you know if they got their hand on the code, then they can do whatever they want because the assumption is they got to the database, right? If they if they get their hands on the database, yeah. well, they've got all of these encrypted values that they can't do anything with sure. because yep. the keys are encrypted. All the tenant and keys each are one is different, right? Key, yeah, right. With the app key, right? So. Again, if someone gets access to both of those things, we probably got bigger problems. Yeah. Um, you know, if someone gets access to the code, well, they don't have anything anyway. If they get access to the database, they don't like they've got the data, but they don't ha- like they can't do anything with it because they can't decrypt yeah. the key to then exactly. use that key to then get whatever else. Um, so we we wrote commands to to set 
those values, like set a key, and it just generates a random one. And then it, it checks, like, does the key already exist? In which case it needs to decrypt the value and then re-encrypt it with the new key and then write the key back to the to the database. Because, you know, if you if you if you change a value, you know, that then changes the signature. So the key, like you get in this state where you've like decrypted something with one key and encrypted it with another. Uh-huh. So like you're okay as long as you've got both keys available. Sure. Yep. Um so that oh whoops, we messed that up. So we can like decrypt that thing, re-encrypt it with the original key and then and then fix it up. But yeah, cycling cycling of keys was something that I was paranoid about. <laughs> you don't want to get us in a situation where you've got like these credentials and then you have to go back and it's like, uh, whoops, we messed up like this thing. Can you please go and recreate your credentials kind of thing? So yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's something that I was extremely, extremely paranoid about making sure that we, like there's tests all around it to make sure that we can like decrypt and re-encrypt and that like once we've re-encrypted it with the new key that we can then still access the underlying values. Um, so that was so a little what- bit of fun. I want to talk about Sanctum in one minute, so I'm just, I'm saying it out loud so you have to remember, me remember. But I'm, I want to dig on I want to dig on in on this just a touch here. So I want to make sure I understand. So you have a client and you are going to hold an API key for them that they're going to give you to interact with a third party on their behalf. So let's just say mm-hmm. it's Stripe, for example. So you're going to yeah. interact with Stripe for them on their behalf which might be a bad example because Stripe has a different way of doing that, but it doesn't matter. Okay, so they, yeah. they pass to you the Stripe key. And what you do is you say, all right, we are going to encrypt your Stripe key with our app key. Is that right? Or do you actually no. give that you give? So you, sorry, you issue your client its own key, its own encryption key. So client one encryption key and then client two mm-hmm. encryption key, client three encryption key. And you yep. encrypt that key with your app key. Correct. Okay, so client one has their own their own key. You encrypt that with your app key, and then you use client one's key to encrypt their Stripe key. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So how do you how do you go about rotating the keys? Which one which ones are you rotating? You're rota- I guess you're rotating. You're not rotating, rotating the app the, key. You're rotating, rotating the, client's the client's key. Right. Yeah. Okay, so do you have like a multi? Do you have a uh, one to many relationship with that? Does client one have you know? Does that all exist on the same table? user mm-hmm. client one and then their their key is is encrypted and stored on that table or do you have like a one-to-many where you have like client one and then you have like personal access tokens and then you have multiple keys that are associated with that with that client how do you do that we've got, we've got like this idea of like connectors it's effectively we're calling them connectors so that it's more generic than credentials because they might be used for whatever sure. else but it's okay. a tenant could have multiple users and each of those users could have their own keys okay or their own sets of credentials to Stripe, you know? Sure. Because there's like, we, we are, you know, we're the platform and then we work with brokers and then brokers have their own users. And a, a broker could be, you know, a conglomerate of dozens or hundreds of, of their own users. And each of those, depending on the lender, may have their own set of credentials. Sure. So it could be one set of credentials for the broker or it could be each of the users in that broker have their own. So, we, you know, we cater for all of that. So when... When we want to cycle the client key, you know, we need to decrypt all of the credentials. Yep. Well, we need to use the app key to de- decrypt the tenant key. Right. So we can yep. then use the tenant key to decrypt all of the client credentials. Okay. Then re-encrypt all of those client credentials with the new key. Yes. And then re-encrypt the new tenant key with, with the app key. Yes. Yes. Okay. Do you do all that in memory? Mm-hmm. 
You do all that in memory. Okay. And if it ever fails, yeah. it rolls back. Yeah. It go, it runs inside of a transaction. Okay. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause that would be the other terrifying part. It's like, okay, what if we get partway through and then we make an oopsie, right? Yeah. 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 Database okay. goes away. Server turns exactly. off. Exactly. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That is a little bit scary, though. Um, having like, to rotate those. Yeah. Fortunately, you know, worst case scenario that happens partway through and we just, it's bad PR because you have to go and get all the users to like reset their credentials and stuff. Um, yeah, but it's not the end of the world. I mean, it's, like, it's not the end of the world. Like, yeah. Right. They should hopefully um, have we, access we, to their own keys. Yeah. We never, we never see the raw keys in that process because it's just like a random string. It's generated. It's shoved, like we use Laravel's generate key. That's part of the encryptor. And we just like, give me a random one, set it in there, go and do whatever you need to do. So it's never it's never output anywhere. It's never displayed anywhere. We don't, you know, we don't want to know what it is. We obviously we can get it. You know, if yeah, we right. if we go in and tinker, we can decrypt that and have a look at it and and go from there. But you know, the whole idea behind this is that we we are as hands off as possible. We let users manage their own keys and all that kind of stuff. So it was a it was a fun project to to kind of deal with and and figure out you know what's what's the the safe way of doing this. How many yep. sensible layers can we put in between like you know, because obviously if you use the app key or if, you know, if you don't encrypt the, the thing at all, you know, then it's then it's just there for anyone. If they get the database, they get all the credentials. Um, If you get the app key, then if someone gets the app key, they can get everyone's stuff, you know. So this is where we introduce this layer because then if they get, you know, one one user, well, they've only got credentials for one user that they can't really do anything with without the app key. So it's like the, you know, the, the two key um, you know, launch the missile kind of thing that you have to have, you know, someone turn both keys at the same time for it to work. So it's uh it, it was certainly an interesting thing thing to go through. And like and getting that all working in like with the added complication of like multi tenancy and being able to switch between like the tenant and the the app, like the central app and things like that was a bit of a rigmarole, but we got there in the end. Yeah. So two more things I wanted to talk about. Uh, the one is Sanctum. Mm-hmm. And then you reminded me of something Adam Wathen was saying uh, a while ago, like a long while ago, like 2018. Yeah, it was a long he, while ago. Yeah, it was. He was talking about encryption specifically on his podcast. And he's basically saying like, like, how far do you go? Like, at what point do you stop encrypting? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like, because you just encrypt everything, like in the database and at rest and yeah. all that stuff. And like, what, you know, where do you stop? Anyway, I probably won't talk about that. But Sanctum. <laughs> so Sanctum... Uh, for those of you who have not used it yet, like if you want to manage personal access tokens per user or you want to be able to use like API tokens to authenticate, and there's a whole lot more. But basically what we are using it for is we are replacing the old school token guard. Now, the token guard wasn't anything that was ever super well documented. It was just sort of something I found you know, in the auth.php config. And it makes it really easy. Essentially, all you have to do is set up a... API users table, you can name it whatever you want, doesn't matter. And then you generate a token, store it on that user. And then all you do is when somebody comes in, you say, this should be using this, you know, uh, do middleware auth colon API or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and then what it'll do is as long as you have your auth.php set up to use for your API authentication to use token, 
it'll just say, what's your user providers for that API? Oh, it's API users. Okay, go make sure that that token exists. Oh, it exists on that user. Great, they're authenticated. Authenticate that user for this request. All good. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really simple. Super simple to set up. Piece of cake, no problem. However, in Laravel 9, it removed, they removed, or I suppose deprecated token authentication. It's not really anything that's supported anymore. It doesn't It's not mentioned anywhere yeah. in the documentation. Now, it still works, actually. It <clears> hasn't been works. for a while. Yeah, it hasn't been documented since yeah. like Laravel 7 or something like that. Yeah, but in Laravel Shift, like when we recently did a shift to Laravel 9, it says like, hey, you should stop using this, basically is the recommendation. And it does mm-hmm. still work. Like it's, we have a Laravel 9 app that's using it. Mm-hmm. But for the sake of, and the, the argument was like, well, why change it? Like, it's still working. And I'm like, well, I mean, here's the deal. There's no documentation. If we bring in a new user, uh, a new developer, and they've never used the token guard, how do you discover that? Like, how do you discover that that's the thing? If they're ever going to be looking for it, they're going to be looking at Sanctum, right? So although it still works, it's probably best practice just to stay on the Laravel train, just to migrate over to Sanctum and to use Sanctum instead. So there's a couple of things that Sanctum does differently. One is it's not a flat database structure. Like what we mm-hmm. used to have is we just had an API users table and that API users table had the name, the API token to create it at and update it at the end, right? That was it, which made it super simple. But that API key was not encrypted either. There was no encryption around that. Uh, it was just the straight up API key that was used. So if somebody did get access to the database, they'd have all the API tokens for all the different users that you were giving access to your application, which not great. So that's that's one thing uh, that used to be with Sanctum, what it is, is you have a user's table and then you have a personal access tokens table. So they're separate, right? It's one-to-many relationship sort of deal, which what that allows you to do is it allows you to have more than one personal access token active at a time. You can do that, which actually does make it easier to rotate keys because you can have both keys active at the same time rotate them out. And then it has a last used at, like when was the last time this, this Mm -hmm. API key was used. And so once it's stopped being used, you can deprecate it, remove it and all you're, you're all set. Right. So it comes along with some niceties that you previously didn't have. The other thing that the sanctum offers you as well is it offers you like scopes. You can say, um, this particular key is good for these particular scopes. And then you can use this the middleware that comes with Sanctum to essentially say, yeah, I want to authenticate with Sanctum, but I also want to only give authorization to do these particular things based on the scopes that that API key has. So you can, in your application, say, you know, they're authenticated, but do they have the Sanctum scope to update users? No, they don't. Okay, deny access. Whereas a different API token that belongs to that same user may in fact have the ability to update users. So that's pretty cool too. That was something we had to invent Mm. previously we're just using the token guard that comes out of the box with Sanctum. So that's really nice. The last thing though, is when we were migrating to Sanctum, we really didn't want to have to go into all of our other applications and update the API token that was being used by all those other applications, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So we had that flat structure and we basically wanted to say, okay, the application that is, um, that is going to be handling the authentication, right? To check if something is uh, uh, authenticated to be able to talk to it. We want it to have the burden of migrating and not all the other apps. The other apps should just be able to continue to operate as normally. They shouldn't have to change their API token. They shouldn't have to change any of that stuff. So there is a way to do that, basically, but you have to write your own little migration script. And I think I might write a little blog post about this or something. But essentially, Mm -hmm. what you need to do is you take your existing table and you're going to create all those users again. Or and what what I did is I just basically did this locally. 
and then I moved it up to production once I did it locally. But you take the API tokens that you have in existence on my API users table. And then when, I, um, when I'm migrating, I have the, that personal access tokens table that's over there. And then I just add the key as the personal access token that's currently being used. Now, again, it's going to encrypt it and store it over there. So it's going to look different, right? But that's fine. It's still behind the scenes or underneath that going to be using the API token that you originally had. It's just going to be the encrypted version of that API token mm-hmm. now. So that's a way to be able to migrate to Sanctum and use all the new stuff that is coming with it while having basically no service interruption on the side of the projects that are using that API. Um, so we've done that. This will be the second or third time we've done that now. And it works pretty well. So um, I would encourage you, if you are using the token guard, to get migrated over to Sanctum uh, sooner rather than later, uh, especially if you're going to be upgrading to more recent versions of Laravel. Um, mm. We're going to, you know, it's it's just going to be, it's one of those things where you're probably just going to eventually have to do it. So might as well do it before you have to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Before it's like deprecated yeah. and like you're scrambling to make it happen. Like before it's like yeah, literally it's out like of the one framework. extra thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. it just becomes one extra thing that you're kicking down the road and it makes that, you know, that migration when it goes from deprecated to removed. Yes. It makes that migration even bigger because you haven't kind of stepped it out. Totally. Um, Like we're using Passport for our stuff, but I think we could probably change that Mm-hmm. to use Sanctum instead of Passport because mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't, like we don't use the two-legged authentication or anything like that at the moment. So, you know, it might be something that we look at as part of our upgrades as we move on to to start it's, using that instead. It's really nice. I, I've really enjoyed it. It's a great API, of course, as all of the Laravel stuff is, but it works great. It, it feels very similar to what it was with the token guard. You're still just passing in a bearer token. That's it. I mean, it's super yeah. simple. But the actual implementation of it on the side of the, uh, you know, on the server side, uh, the application that's actually doing the authentication, it's it it feels pretty good. It feels really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, the oh, what was the other thing I was gonna say about that? Nope, don't remember. Oh well, it's gone. Gone. Oh, I was <laughs> gonna say with the other thing was like with Laravel shift. Like I don't know if it's gonna warn me next time, right? Mm. It's it's sort of telling us right now, like, hey, by the way, you're using Token Guard. You sh- like. I'm telling you right now, maybe for the last time, that this isn't going to be a thing anymore. And I'm going to update your config yeah. to tell you that token is no longer there. Like it's not even, it, it removes it from the comment that says, here are the ways you can authenticate for the API. And it says like, Sanctum, that's it. There is no other one. Mm-hmm. And so my fear would be when I upgrade to Laravel 10, there is going to be no warning from shift that it's gone. It's like, we already told yeah. you last time. Then so you don't really want to be in that position where you're trying to figure out why are my authentications not, you know, why is this all failing? Mm. Um, so anyway. Yeah, I suspect that's the kind of thing that, you know, JMAC would leave in there in these stepped stepped ones until it's, you know, removed, removed anyway. Sure. So Yeah, you would hope, but you never you never know. It's just like you never not, know. Like you said, it's like not one of those things you want to leave hanging out there. So Yeah. I think we'll probably call it there. I know that we cool. were Sounds gonna good. talk about uh value we objects, but we time. got wrapped yeah. up, but we can leave it up. Um I'll I'll put a link to in the show notes. I I caught up with Eric Van Johnson and we talked for like an hour about it, just going through, you know the use cases, the differences between sort of DTOs and value objects and when you might use one or the other. Um, and it was, you know, it was fun to to have that chat and kind of just explore the topic on its own a little bit further. I've I've definitely been using, we've probably been more more DTOs. We're, we're looking at these lender integration. Actually, I talked about this a while ago, wanting to use Saloon, which is Sam yep. Carre's okay, you know, abstraction yeah. for yeah. SDKs and APIs and things like that. So sure. We, I bit the bullet on it on Friday and like 
forked the repository and backported it to work with PHP 7.4. <laughs> nice. <laughs> because I would rather do that and maintain a fork short term yeah. than have too many of these lender integrations kicking around that are like an, a spaghettified mess of like, you know, we have to refactor a whole bunch of them later before. Exactly. So while, while we've only got like three or four of them, I thought we'll start that. So I've, I've started that now. And, and started working on refactoring that. And it's it's just a really nice API that um so I'll I'll link up the the saloon stuff in the in the show notes as well so people can go back and have a listen to that episode that you recorded with him and maybe look at the project because it it really is a nice way to kind of encapsulate that kind of logic in a in an abstract way without having to like reinvent the wheel for you know using guzzle and, and whatever else as you go along so and it comes with all the testing stuff in place as well very nice so we can yep. we can talk about that at some stage in yep. the future as well as i get deeper into it but it's um it's nice i've <laughs> i've got like this magic because we've got like five or six different lenders and we go and we run quotes with all of them mm-hmm. and they all come back with their own response format but we all all want to have standard you know consistent yeah. or a standardized standardized api on our side and we kind of have that with like this quote response array and each does their own thing. But it's like, you know, just an array here and it's copy-pasted from here to there to there. Yeah. And so I've, I've gone down like DTOs, obviously, because that's exactly what we're doing. We're getting a request in an arbitrary format. We want to, you know, conform it to, to this one response format. And so I started with like having a name, a static name constructor, uh-huh. like yeah. from so like, lender yeah. A, from lender B. Exactly. And, that's what I was thinking. And I'm like, first, first shot at it, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that because then you've got like dozens potentially of these name constructors inside the single class. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I what I think I've settled on now, I've got one that I like I've refactored that already. And so I've got a magic call call static, like a protect a public static underscore underscore call static method that then looks is the method that you're calling start with from and so it goes like if string starts with dollar name, like the the method from, mm-hmm. grab string after from. So it'd be like from lender A, from mm-hmm. lender B, yeah, from sure. lender C. Go and find the corresponding class, which is a child of this class, and and construct that. It's just like a factory. As a factory. And I was staring at it for about 15 minutes before we recorded, like just looking at it, trying to decide if I liked it. Yeah. Because I've got like this... I've got this like class path there where it's like app slash slash lender yeah. slash slash, you yeah. know, as like a string. And I'm like, I don't know if I like it, but I don't know if I hate it. But it's like, I would pass, like the right test pass. I would feel like I would um, like the API at the end of the day is going to look relatively. I mean, it's, it's going to look clean. It's going to look fine. The only thing that I would worry about is sort of you. It's not really, it's not written out. Like I can't, like I can't go mm. to the class and see the name of the lenders that I have set up that have a from method is my concern, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know exactly the name of the method that I need to call uh, in order to be able to transform from that lender. And the one last thing for me, which I know might not be as much of a concern for you, is um, you know, IDE type hinting and maybe even static and static analysis. I'm not sure mm. what would what how that would handle that. Um, yeah, I mean, you can you can solve that through. problem. Yeah, you can solve that that last one by like shoving a doc block at the top of the class that like oh, lists sure. out yeah. all of the static methods, the same way that the facades work. 
Oh, good point. Yep. And that way, you know, like this is, uh, there's probably some like weirdness there around like the return types and things. But I suppose if you say that this is always going to return an instance of this class, like, you know, what that surface area looks like anyway, it's just like to stop in those scenarios having to resolve like, you know, new specific, you know, new lender A here and new lender B over there. And it's like, yeah. It's six of one, half a dozen of the other. And so this is why I spent so long just like looking at it going, I'm, I'm not sure if I like this, but it's, yeah, it's just good, like yeah. weird having that class. Like it's a dynamic class string that's like do this thing. And I might go might go looking through Laravel's, you know, code base to see if it does like a similar thing, the like thing resolving like, class paths. You can always, because your tests pass and because you do have tests, you can always ship it and see how people feel about it. And then if somebody complains mm. about it or you come back to it like six months from now and you're like, yeah, that's really not clear, mm. uh, you know, then you can fix it up and clean it up. I mean, that's what I've been trying to push with some of my guys is like, you know, this perfectionism trap where it's like, it's got to be perfect before I ship it. And it's like, I mean, sometimes yeah. you just got to, I mean, if it's working. It's got to be functional and, before you ship it. It's got to be functional. Yeah. And then if it's working, I'm kind of like, you know what? Let's let's push it. And as long as like we can discover sort of what it's supposed to be doing, if it's really a problem, we can fix it next time we come back to it. It's not that mm-hmm. big of a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Yep. All right, man. Hey, what episode are we on? 127? Is that right? You got it. All right. 127, folks. Find show notes for this episode at podcast.laravel-news. Just kidding. <laughs> North, uh, North meets South. Oh man, now I'm all now I'm all screwed up. Um, <laughs> North South, North meets South. That audio slash one twenty seven. Thank you, my word. Hit us up uh, on uh, Twitter at North South Audio at Jacob Bennett at Michael Dorinda, and then rate us up in your podcast of choice. Five stars would be amazing. Thank you, everybody, and until next time, see you later. Bye. Bye.